We are in our series called Epic, about Jesus giving the most epic study of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. I want to start out by talking about exaggerations. Has anyone here ever exaggerated anything? Dylan, you look like you're in the You're like, it was this big. <laughs> That's, I don't know what you're talking about. It's your fishing trip. But uh, yeah, okay, here's an exaggeration. Have you ever been a kid or maybe a high school student who had a parent who said, do your chores? And you were like, oh, man, mom and dad want me to do my chores. They're like a slave master. Has anyone ever said that? That's an exaggeration. I think somebody who lived back in the time where they had slaves and actually had a slave master would be like, okay, that's an exaggeration. Or, for instance, if there's some, I went to Russia, and I saw starving children out on the streets in the town of Kaluga. If you go to Russia, and you're a starving child, and you're like, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, then yeah, okay, you're actually starving. But if you're, you know, us, and you had McDonald's like four hours ago, and your stomach is rumbling, and you go, Oh, I'm starving. Who's, who's ever been guilty of that? You ate like two or three hours ago and you say, I'm starving. It's an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> if you're like, I miss my boyfriend so much I could just die. It's an exaggeration because someone else is like, I'm missing my kidney. I could literally die. That's not an exaggeration. I think, I think sometimes as disciples of Jesus, we need to choose our words really carefully, and I think Jesus always chooses his words really carefully. Let's take a moment to look at Jesus' words in Matthew 5, verse 10. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've been looking at that word, that Greek word makairos, which means it's blessed, it means happy. Jesus is up on the mountain, people come to him, they're saying, master, teacher, we want to know how can we be happy? How can we be blessed? And Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Hey, you want to be happy? Get persecuted. That's what Jesus is saying. It's a very strange, very countercultural thing to say. Before we go into what persecution is, I want to spend a little bit of time on what persecution isn't, because I've got a little bit of a pet peeve um, just in my own heart, and it, it comes from just my own heart as an American citizen, uh, and this goes for anybody who's in, you know, if you're in, if you're in England or if you're in Ireland or somewhere that's not a third world country where you're very comfortable, a lot of times as Christians, we can just be like, we're persecuted all the time. We play, we play the persecuted card all the time. I'll explain what I mean. As Christians here, especially in America, I feel like we tend to like pretend that we're victims all the time. Any negative experience we have as a Christian, if you're walking down the hallway and somebody knows you're a Christian and they kind of give you a dirty look, you're like, I'm just, I'm just facing persecution. You know what I mean? Like if, if, uh, if you're... Um, at school and, and a teacher knows you're a Christian and, you know, maybe they say something demeaning to you in class, like, yeah, I don't believe what you believe and it's dumb. You can be like, oh, the persecution, make it stop. I, I, just, I just don't want us to confuse, like, what we're going through with what persecution is. I don't want to downplay it, but I want to kind of get into it. I, I think we got to be careful. That's what I'm trying to say because we can get, and we already have gotten, a very bad reputation as Christians for the way we act like we're constantly being persecuted. The world looks at us and kind of thinks that we're crybabies and that we're crying wolf. We're always like, persecution, persecution. And then they run over, they're like, what's going on? And we're like, they, uh, they told me happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. I'm so persecuted. It's an exaggeration, I really feel like. I was listening to Christian radio the other day and uh, there was a guy on there and he was like talking about uh, public school. And he was like, I just couldn't believe it. The, there's case, this court case came up, and in this public school, there's a school administrator who's trying to take Christian books out of the school library. Unbelievable. And I thought, really? Is it that unbelievable that we would be persecuted, even though Jesus says it? Like, is it that unbelievable that somebody would be against Christ when that's exactly what the Bible says would happen? It's not really that unbelievable. 
You know the term haters gonna hate? I always say sinners gonna sin. Like, we can't look at somebody who's not a Christian and expect them to act like a Christian. We can't, we should never be surprised when somebody sins who's a, who's a non-believer. We should never be surprised when they oppose us. They should never be surprised when somebody who's not a believer stands against Jesus. It should never come as a surprise to us. When it happens, we should just be like, yep, yeah, Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus said we would be opposed. We shouldn't be freaking out about it all the time and, and stressing out about it because Jesus said this was going to happen. This is what concerns me. Jesus came to earth and he said, listen, my kingdom is coming. I'm building it. And I want you to go and tell people about it. Find the sick, find the poor, find the sinners, and go and tell them about my kingdom. But I think as Christians, honestly, what we've done as a whole is instead of worrying about God's kingdom, we've focused on our own. We've been like, it's time to build our kingdom. Let's, you know, let's get Christian music, Christian t-shirts, Christian movies, Christian TV shows, like just all this Christian, Christian, Christian stuff. And we've built this bubble around ourselves, and now it's like, don't let the bad people in. Don't let them into our bubble. We've built our own thing. Don't, we don't want to talk about sinners. We don't want to see sinners. We don't want to look at sinners. I've talked about it before. It's, it's like the idea of like you step into a church. It's this wonderful, glowing building. Right now, our light system is broken, so it's really dim in here. But I want you to imagine that you walk into a, a, a church building that's just full of light, and everything is just warm, that warm glow, like when you're just like staring at the sun, not with your eyes open because that'd be dumb, but you're just, you know, you're looking at the sun and the the heat is just basking on your face. You walk into this church building and like it's just light everywhere and everyone's happy and smiling and there's just warmth. But then you look around and you notice that the windows are boarded up and you notice that the doors are slammed shut and somebody goes over and they start to open the door and somebody screams, hey, what are you doing? Don't let the darkness in. It'll get us. I think that's a lot of times the way the church looks at you guys as kids. It's like, we, you know what we got to do to save these kids? We got to get them to church. We got to make sure we have stuff going on every night of the week so that they, they don't have any room to go out and make mistakes and get in trouble. Let's just have them in church every day and make sure they're always at church and that they never go outside of the church and they never have friends who are outside of the church because the church is where all the good stuff happens. I don't agree with that. Jesus calls us to be in the world, not of the world. He calls us to be in the world. Jesus looks at every single one of you and goes, you're a missionary. You're somebody I've chosen to plant in your world, whether it's a public school or a family that doesn't know Jesus or a neighborhood where just your friends don't know Jesus. You've been strategically chosen by God, planted there as a missionary. But a lot of times, we don't see it that way. A lot of times, we feel like with the church, we're in it, and we can't wait to get out of it. We're in it at our Christian school, or maybe you're going to church because your parents are making you. Uh, I hope none of you guys are in that spot, but maybe some of you guys are here just like, I'm just here because I'm forced to be here, and I can't wait to get out so I can just experience the world. When Jesus looks at you and he's like, I can't wait for you to get out of this room so that you can take what you're learning here, and you can go out and you can change the world with it. It's all about the way you see it. It's all about priorities. Listen, let's take a look at persecution for what it really looks like. If you're in India and Christians are banning you from buying in the market or drinking from a well, if you, this happens in India, they're, they're banned from, from uh, buying and selling in the marketplace, Christians, they are uh, banned from drinking from certain wells in the village. They say, you're a Christian, you can't drink from this well. There were some Christians who resisted. They were like, well, we, we, need, we need water. We need to drink from the well. And they tried to drink from the well. What happened was they got almost beaten to death and chased out of town. That's persecution. What's not persecution is if classmates avoid you because you're constantly telling them how much a sinner they are and you're beating them to death with the gospel in a way that's not loving, then it's not persecution. You're just annoying and you're getting a response for being annoying. I've been that guy. I've, I've been, even in a Christian school, the guy who's just like, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. Hmm, I'll be praying for you, brother. Like, I've been that guy. That's not the guy you want to be. You want to be someone who's reaching the world in love. If you're a Christian missionary, you're preaching Jesus and you're kidnapped, beheaded, 
your head gets chopped off and then a video shows up of it on YouTube, I mean, that's some straight up persecution. That's real stuff that happens. What's not persecution is there was a uh, army sergeant who was in the military who was a religious guy. I don't know if I'd call him a Jesus following guy, but he was a religious guy. And there's some people, some other guys in the army who were homosexual. What this guy does is he insults them. He calls them mean things. Uh, And then when he gets in trouble for that, he thinks he'll be safe going to social media. So he gets on Facebook and posts, Lordy, Lordy, it's Gay Tuesday. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe all these gay people. He gets on there, and and he gets in trouble for it. And what happens is the news reports it as this Christian gets persecuted for his faith. That's not, like, that's not. When did Jesus ever treat people like that? I mean, sure, we look at somebody who's sinning, and if we acknowledge that they're in sin, but we don't treat them badly. We don't insult them. We don't call them names, and we don't treat them with hostility. Jesus was always loving to sinners because he wanted to win them. What the Bible says is blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sakes. It never says blessed are the persecuted for religion's sake. You know what I mean by that? If what we're doing as Christians is we're just holding on to our traditions and we're holding on to the way we do things and the way we do life and the way we like things to run, and when the non-Christians come in and they want to mess that up, because they do, they don't like the way Christians do things, they don't like prayer in schools, they don't like Christianity being able to be expressed to people. Like they, they don't like anything related to Jesus because Jesus is the one, the one belief that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So of course they don't like Jesus. But the question is, are we fighting for righteousness sake? Or are we fighting for religion's sake? Are we like fighting to rescue people from hell? Are we fighting to bring the gospel to people? Or are we just upset because the world is changing the way we do things. I made some stupid slides for you to kind of express the way I think uh, things are right now, okay? This is, to me, the way the church kind of thinks about things at times and the way the church sees the world, okay? The church looks at the world and they think the world's just like, ha, 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 evil party. Let's do all the stuff Christians hate 24-7 just because we want to make them mad, and like, oh, I love being in sin. It's amazing. I love being in bondage to sin that's ruining my life. That's how we kind of see the world. It's just this enemy, this, these evil, wicked people who are just out to destroy us. And then we think like, oh, why don't these people just go away? Ew, look at them. They're sick sinners. They didn't say Merry Christmas to me. Totes persecuted. Can you believe that sinner just thin? I, I can't believe that sinner just thin. Time to just jump into my rapture bunker. How dare they not agree with us? That's the other thing. Getting upset that non-believers don't agree with us is crazy. The Bible says that, we talked about this when we learned in Ephesians, the Bible says that the cross will be foolishness to those who are perishing. They'll look at our ways, they'll look at us following Jesus, and they'll be like, that is the dumbest thing in the world. The Bible literally says that it'll be foolishness. But to those who are being rescued, to those who hear the message and they believe it and they accept it, then those are the ones who are going to realize the light's going to go on. Wow, they were right all along. And if we're just always upset that they don't agree with us, we're not going to win anybody. To me, this is a more proper view of how we should see things. We should look at the people for what they are. They're prisoners. People are not the enemy. Those people in your school who make fun of you, Those people in your family, maybe you have people in your family who today were like, how could you go to church? Why would you do that? That's so dumb. I don't understand how you could do that. Maybe you have people in your life who are making your life miserable because you follow Jesus. You might look at those people and think they're the enemy, but they're not. They're prisoners. They're acting in response to their own imprisonments. They're under oppression by Satan. They're victims of Satan. Yes, everyone's responsible for their own actions. I, as a sinner, am responsible for my sin. You, as a sinner, people, like, you can't be like, oh, the devil made me do it. You can't blame everything on the devil. But sin nature is an effect of being prisoners of Satan. So you have to go to the source. So when we see people, we should see them as people who, even though no matter what they're saying on the outside, no matter how happy or confident they may seem, they're people who are saying, I'm lost. Will I ever be free? Why can't I find happiness? Crippling bondage to sin is killing me. It's so dark in here. We need to be the people where we're centered around love and the cross. 
And we look at people who are sinners and we think we have to tell them the good news. They're attacking us, turn the other cheek, keep loving them. They're dying, but we have the cure. We were just like them once. We have to help. We can't give up now no matter what. We must reach them with Jesus. That's the way we need to be seeing people. So let's take a look at what persecution actually is. The Greek word is dioko, which means to make, run, or flee, to cause flight, to drive away, or to mistreat with hostility. You know what the awesome thing about being where we are in the world is this doesn't happen that much. I get to go as a Christian, as a pastor, I get to go to public school campuses. Last week, I was at one of your guys' campuses this week. I came to Vista High. I get to go into a public school and talk to students about Jesus. No one came out with like a machete and was like, hey, you, get out of here, and chased me out. Like, that didn't happen. But that is happening all over the world. I just want to wake you guys up to the reality of how good we have it. Jesus went through something like this. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute, okay? So Jesus was a rabbi. He was a man and God. And while he was on earth, Jesus went to church. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus wasn't just like, hey, everybody, I'm Jesus, come hear me. He he did that, but Jesus also went to church. So what we have is Jesus, he shows up to the scribes, he shows up to the Pharisees, he shows up to the synagogue. It was like a church building like this. And what they did is they didn't have one pastor who'd get up and speak. They had different rabbis, and they'd pass around the scroll, and they'd, they'd go to the different rabbis and say, here, read this scripture and, and explain it. So they'd pass it around, and it got to Jesus, and, and Jesus pulled out the scroll, and he started to read in the book of Isaiah. And what Jesus read was the spirit, just imagine this, Jesus is in front of all these scribes and rabbis and, and uh all these Pharisees, and he gets up and he starts to read. He reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And everyone stands there and they're like, That was a good reading, Rabbi Jesus. Very well. And then Jesus says, Yes. All these verses are about me. And everyone's like, what? And Jesus is like, yes. In fact, today, these scriptures have been fulfilled through me. Everyone starts freaking out. They're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? He's basically saying, I am the chosen one. He's like, I am the anointed one. I am the one that God chose to save all of you. I mean, imagine. Imagine if we were doing a high school service where I was having different high school kids come up, and Tony comes up, and he reads from the book of Isaiah, and he's like, yeah, just so you guys know, these verses are about me. Yeah, like hundreds and thousands of years ago, God wrote these verses about me, and I've come to save you all from your sin. We'd all be like, uh, no, you didn't. Uh, People start freaking out at Jesus. In fact, what they end up doing is they drive him out of town. The Bible says that they picked up stones, and they chased him out of town. They drove him to a cliff, and they tried to throw him off the cliff. Can you imagine? Jesus is just in, he's in church. He's teaching a little Bible study. He says one comment, yeah, these verses are about me. Everyone gets up. They're like, what are you talking about? And they drive him out of church, chase him to a cliff, and try to chuck him off of it. You know, it makes me think about some actual legitimate persecution I feel like our youth group went through. Probably the first time it's happened to us as a group collectively. Maybe some of you guys remember. We made a video. Uh, it was a gospel presentation video. Were any of you guys involved in that? I think some of you guys were, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So we made this video where we told people about Jesus. We went through the whole gospel, laid it out. It's a great video. And we put it on DVD discs. And it was like, towards the end of the school year, we went to MLK Middle School, which was a public school. And these are all kids from Calvary now. Um, Kids from the whole youth group made it, helped make it, and then the kids from Calvary were like the distribution people. So we went down on one of the last days of school to MLK. We've got our stacks of DVDs, and we start passing them out to kids. Kids are leaving class, they're going out, they're walking to their cars, they're walking to the park, We're standing there with the DVDs. We start passing them out. You know what happened? We started to get cussed out. 
People started to be like, what the heck do you think you're doing? Like, who do you think you are? People broke the CDs in half. People, like, chucked the CDs at us. One kid got cut by, like, a crazy, like, flying broken Frisbee disc. So to me, when we all got back together, I was talking to you guys. I remember. And I remember you guys were like, Pastor Aaron, we failed. They broke our discs and chucked them at us. Uh, one kid's like just like bleeding, like, uh. and I was like, you haven't failed. For one, people took them. Sure, some people cussed you out. Sure, some people threw them, but I saw people take them. I saw skaters down at the skate park who were doing little tricks, and they still had the CDs in their hand. If they would have thrown those away, why would they skate with those? That's inconvenient. They would have thrown those away a long time ago if they weren't planning on watching them. And you have not failed because Jesus tells us you'll be persecuted. He says, if you stand up for Jesus, if you do something bold and crazy for Jesus, you will be opposed. So I was like, this is good. Like, I'm stoked that people chuck those things at us. Like, I'm stoked that happened because it means that what the Bible says about us is true. And that's awesome. Persecution is real. And it can be a little bit scary. But there's a verse I want to point your attention to. In Romans 8.31, It says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's an encouraging verse. Because listen, guys, no matter who opposes you as a believer, God is always on your side. Think of David and Goliath, this little, short, ridiculous kid fighting this giant man. God was with him. He was able to take him down. I think God's got a mission for a lot of you guys. I think some of you guys are scared. I think some of you guys are like, I don't want to talk to them about Jesus. I don't want to go write down that verse and give it to them. I don't want to even pray for them because I'm afraid of what could happen. Listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? I I remember the other day I was sitting on uh, my deck reading uh, my Bible, and I saw this dark form coming towards me. It was like this dark, shadowy form, and it was coming towards me really fast, and I literally was like, like I freaked out. Like, no one else was around. I'm just sitting on, like, my porch by myself, and this dark shadow comes towards me, and I was like, like, I I was scared. You know what it was? It was a dandelion. Like, you know, like, those little, like, flowers where, like, they shoot out the little, like, mini flowers? It was just floating towards me, and it caught the light in a certain way where the shadow was coming towards me, and I freaked out. And it made me think of Satan, because so many times I freak out about Satan. Like, oh my gosh, he's going to ruin my life. He's evil. Oh, I'm getting tempted. Oh, oh, my life, like, he's doing something bad in my life. Like, oh, Satan's so terrible. And then I remember, like, compared to God, he's like a dandelion. Like, sure, he looks all big and shadowy, but in in the end, he's just, he's worthless. He can't do anything. I mean, in the reality, what the Bible says is don't fear the one who can kill the body, because he can't kill the soul. Sure, I mean, let's say Satan influenced some hobo to stab you on the way home today. Not going to say it's going to happen, but it could. I mean, Satan's real. He could do it. You have an indestructible soul. Your body is like a like, garbage bag that carries around your soul. Your body, if it dies, you get to be in heaven with Jesus. You get perfected. Jesus keeps the soul intact. You have an indestructible, bulletproof soul. You have to remember that. That keeps me brave in any situation. There was a story of a guy who was a rich oil tycoon, this guy who owned all these oil fields, and he had a daughter, and she was not that good looking, and he really wanted his daughter to get married, but like nobody wanted to marry his daughter. So he's like, I've got to do something about this. So he calls all the rich young men in the area, gets them together, and he says, Boys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little bit of a contest. So he pulls the tarp off of his pool, and he's got piranhas and sharks in the pool. This guy was crazy. (laughs) He's got piranhas and sharks in the pool, and he says to the guys, here's what we're going to do. To any man who can jump in the pool and swim across it, I will give one of these three prizes. I will give... One, a million dollars. Two, my largest oil field, which will make you 10 times as much as that. Or three, both of those things and my daughter as your wife. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be, 
we're not going to do that. That's crazy. No one will jump in that pool. Everyone's like, we're not going to do it. Not even for all the money in the world. There's piranhas and sharks in that pool. Well, all of a sudden, they hear a splash. There's a guy in the pool, and he's swimming as hard as he can. He's swimming for his life, just uh, like going for it. And he just, piranhas are chomping at him. Sharks are biting at him, but he makes it to the other side. And he gets to the top, and he's bleeding and bloody and just nasty. He's got chunks of his leg missing. And the dad comes over, and he says, son, you've swam the pool. You've risked the trial. Now what do you want? Is it a million dollars? And he goes, no. He goes, is it my largest oil field? No. Is it both of those things and my daughter as your wife? No. And the dad says, well, then what is it? And the young man says, I want the name of the guy who pushed me in the pool. The point is, no one would go through something like that, even for, like, an like, attractive girl. Like, no one would go through a crazy swimming pool, gnarly nightmare. But you know what? Who went through, like, everything for you? Jesus. Like, just whipped with a cat of nine tails, crown of thorns pressed into his forehead, beard ripped out, beaten for crimes he didn't do, interrogated, tortured. And he did it for us. Jesus went through so much persecution in his life. And here's what he says to us. He says, listen, guys, if the world hates you, remember that it first hated me. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than its master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they rejected the one who sent me. Jesus says if we're followers of him, we'll be persecuted. Look at the 12 disciples. I'm sorry for the gruesome image, but, I mean, that was Peter, crucified upside down. They said, we're going to crucify you, Peter. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. Crucify me upside down. James, the disciple, was executed with a sword. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was nailed to an olive tree. Thomas was thrust through with pine spears and tormented with red-hot plates and bear, or burned alive. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Nathaniel was flayed and crucified. James was pushed off the temple roof and then beaten to death with rods. Simon was crucified by a governor. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks. Matthias was stoned while on a cross, and John was put into boiling oil, and then he was the one who was allowed to live. They boiled him in oil, and then they, they banished him to the island of Patmos. Jesus says to the disciples, we will go through persecution. It just makes me think, how much persecution have I actually gone through? I'm lucky. I have so much opportunity to reach people for Jesus, and so do you. Jesus says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, guys, here's the problem I have. I think a lot of times in our culture as Christians, what we do is we just complain about what we think is persecution. I'll give you an example, okay? So somebody made this. One nation... Under God, remember, if you don't believe in God, you're not a real American. Keep prayer and God in school where they belong. Here's the thing, guys. Listen. This, if I had my way, this would be it. Like, if I had my way, if someone was like, Aaron, you're president, what are you going to do? I'd be like, yeah, of course. Let's be a theocracy. God will be our real president. Uh, I will be the vice president to God. I'll pray every day, find out what God wants us to do. Uh, we'll pray every day. Everything will be Christian. Like, if I had my way, that's what it would be. But that's not what it is. Our nation doesn't have leaders who follow God. They'll say that they do to win elections, but in reality, their actions show that they don't. The world has changed. There was a time where this was normal. 1950s, 1940s, there was a time where this was the normal, and that's great. Like, we had a good run, but you know what? This has changed. This isn't the world we live in now, but here's the question. Has our faith changed? Has it? Maybe the world has changed, but has our faith in Jesus changed? No. 
we still believe in Jesus as strong as ever. The only difference is the fact that this is not the norm anymore makes things less comfortable for us. But when did Jesus ever preach about us being comfortable? When did Jesus ever say, blessed are the comfortable, for they shall be comforted in great comfort? He never said that. He said that things would actually get very uncomfortable. And listen, there's a bunch of people out there who don't agree with this. There's a bunch of people who are like, we don't want prayer in school. Take down the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. Take down all the Christian stuff. There's a bunch of people who don't agree with this. So how does complaining about them all the time win them to Christ? It doesn't. If all we do is complain about them and go, those sinners, how dare they take away our comfort and our Christian comfort. If we're just complaining about them all the time, how are we reaching them for Jesus? All they do is they look at us and go, man, they really complain a lot. Jesus told us that things were going to change. He told us that we were going to get persecuted. Instead of complaining about no prayer in school, let's learn how to pray. Let's pray on our own at home in our prayer closets. Let's talk to God. Let's get fired up, and then let's go out and reach the world with the gospel. I'm just going to share a couple of verses with you guys that really speak to me on this subject. One is uh, in Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What this means is as a Christian, you have to every day die. You have to die to yourself you have to die to your own desires. You have to die to what you want. And you have to die to the way you wish the world was. Because listen, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Things are going downhill. The question is, are you going to be one of the people as you grow older, are you going to be one of the people who sits around and complains about how bad the world is getting? Are you going to be one of the people who gets into the world with the gospel, no matter how bad it gets? Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's an upside down way of looking at the world. The world says to live is to live is to gain, is to get life, is to get a house and a boat and job and kids and money. And Paul says forget all that. That's death. That just leads to death. You get money and you get stuff and then you live 70 something years and you die and then what else? But Jesus says to live for me, that is gain. To die, to die to yourself, to actually die. Like if, if I go out, if I go to some foreign country and I die for Jesus, I've gained forever intimacy with Jesus. Finally, in Philippians 3.8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord in Philippians 3.8. Paul says everything, everything you can have, every relationship, every job, every grade, every touchdown, every trophy, it's nothing. It's loss. If you look at your life and you've spent all your life, if you got the scales, right? And you know, you know what scales are? You've got like, you put one scale and one, you put like, they've got like the buckets. And you put stuff in one and it weighs it. You put stuff in the other. If you're looking at the left side and just everything is like what I wanted to do, my life, my passions, like my dreams. And then you look at your time with Jesus and it's just like nothing you're going to be bummed. You've lost. You've lost. You've missed out. Life is about a relationship with Jesus. And that brings me to my last point, and that is persecution is good for the church. Let me explain this, okay? You're looking at a picture here. Back in the day, after Jesus was around, after Paul was around, the Roman Empire decided that they were so fed up with Christians. I looked up a couple reasons why they did this. They, uh, as the Romans, they believed that for them to succeed as a nation, if Rome was to succeed, then everyone needed to sacrifice to certain gods. And there was all these multiple gods that they would sacrifice. So they said, for us to succeed as a nation, for us to, to have like a ton of babies this year, for us to have success in war, for us to have good weather, we have to sacrifice to all these different gods. The Christians were like, we're, we just have one God, and we're going to sacrifice to him. And the Romans were like, you're actually a danger to our country. Like, you're rebels. If you don't sacrifice to these gods, it's going to affect our nation. We have to do something about you. So they started rounding up the Christians and throwing them into giant arenas and feeding them to lions. Does that happen nowadays? No, it does not. You know, guys... I work here at a Christian school, and I'll just be honest, at a Christian school, what I see is a lot of apathy. And what I mean by that is just, it's, it's not caring. It's, 
here I am at a Christian school. I got Bible class five days a week. I mean, do I really need to read my Bible? Do I really need to have a relationship with Jesus? I see that. If you go to school here or at a private school, please listen up. Don't get apathetic. Get passionate about Jesus on a daily basis because there's people who went before us who had to go through this and we're so free now. And it's like the world is sleeping in the dark, but we can't fight the darkness because we're asleep in the light. We're comfortable. We're happy with our comfy, cozy, I'm just gonna go to church and listen to Bible study and feel good about myself, Christianity. And that's never what Jesus called us to. He called us to do amazing things, brave things, exciting things. Again, church and Christian schools is not a fortress to keep you safe from the world. It's a training ground. That's what this is. Your parents don't send you here, so it's like, oh, we're going to keep you sheltered from the world and safe. You're here. It's not a fortress. The Bible says that God is a fortress. He's a mighty fortress. This is a training ground because there's a battle outside those doors. So listen, I'm going to show you something disturbing, okay? There was a lady at a Starbucks. Brooklyn and I were hanging out at a Starbucks once, and this creepy homeless lady came out, and she just was like freaking. She's looking at us like, and she was like just being crazy and snarling and, and she was like just cussing us out and just being really creepy and then I remember she was like saying all these dirty nasty things that I can't repeat but as she's like turning around the door she looks around and she goes you never know when you're gonna see me and I was just like oh my gosh <laughs> she looked like that like just really creepy so she looks she's like you never know when you're gonna see me and I was I'd still have nightmares um the point is you never know when persecution's gonna happen Here's the thing, right now in our country, we're pretty secure, we're pretty safe, but persecution could be just around the corner. It could. And for you personally, maybe things are going good, but maybe personal persecution is around the corner. Maybe family members are going to turn on you. Maybe friends are going to reject you for following Jesus. The question is, are you going to be ready? In the Bible, it tells us in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be happy because you have hope in Jesus. He's your anchor. Be patient in tribulation. Trials come, things are hard. Be patient because you know Jesus is coming back and be constant in prayer. Here's the thing about the early church. These guys were being attacked, being thrown into pits of lions, being set on fire, being murdered in horrible ways. Do you think for them they came to church and they were like, good steady, Paul. Nice one, Peter. I'm gonna really think about that today. Uh, no, like they're, they're, they had to go into home churches and hide out for fear of being killed. To them, it was very, very serious. I just want to make a stupid point here. In Star Wars, you've got the evil empire, right? These guys were worth fighting because they were the evil empire. They were blowing up planets, so the persecution of the people is what led to the rebel alliance where people sprung up and said, we've got to fight the evil empire because they're blowing up planets. This is bad. Can you imagine if they weren't the evil empire and they were just like the mildly annoying empire? Let's call them names. Whatever. I don't know. Like, if they were just like mildly annoying, like going around like poking people, the rebels wouldn't get together. They'd be like, oh, those guys are lame. But they wouldn't like, and that's where we are now. We just sit around, we complain about the enemy. And then we look at the prisoners of the enemy, the people in his clutches, and we think they're the enemy, and we complain about them. When the Bible tells us to get on our knees and fight the darkness. Here's the thing, and what I'm going to do to close us out over the next couple minutes is I want to ask a few of you to come up and read some stories from this book about people who are actually facing persecution. So I'm gonna call on some of you guys randomly. Don't be scared, it's just reading. Um, Tony, I'm gonna call you first, okay? Come on up here. Missionary, missionary to terrorist. Francis, Francisco, 22 years old, Peru, 1990. I want to bring Sindestra terrorists to Christ. The young Bible student's eyes burn, burned with desire. His city, Lima, Peru, had swelled to seven million as people fled from the countryside because the Sindarists were murdering so many. I do not want to flee. I want to attack with the gospel, he exclaimed. 
God answered the prayers of this Jesus freak. One day, as Francisco was walking past the National, the National Palace, a car sped by. A mortar launched a bomb from the car, which exploded in the palace. Then the car vanished. Immediately, Peruvian police swarmed throughout the area. Francisco was arrested and taken to the maximum security prison. He was locked up on the fourth floor in an area set aside exclusively for holding the Sendarist Five. Oh, 500 men and women, all terrorists, were imprisoned in this area. Francisco wasted no time grieving over his circumstances. He was prepared. He had diligently studied how to present the gospel to communist revolutionaries. In a gentle way, he began preaching to the terrorists, sharing the love of God. A pretty woman named Maria listened carefully. She was a 24-year-old student from San Marcos University in Lima. One of Maria's tasks with the Sanderists had been to take, had been to take her pistol and shoot the wounded victims through their through their skull to guarantee their death. Could God possibly love and forgive me? She wondered. When Maria played a sinner's prayed a sinner's prayer with Francisco, she found out she definitely could. Oh, he definitely could. What? Oh yeah, God yeah, God could forgive her. And that he did. A year passed while Francisco waited, waited for his trial. During that time, he brought over sixty terrorists to Jesus. As the love of God penetrated the Penetrated hardened hearts, terrorists became children of God. There is now a church in the prison filled with new believers brought to Jesus Christ through the faithfulness of of Francisco. Thanks, dude. It's amazing. That's 1990. That's not that long ago. All right, can I get a girl volunteer, anybody? Any girls here, a good reader? You guys are not girls. Um, What about you, Miss Foster? Can we get you to read one? Let's give her a hand. Let me find you one with a girl. Here we go. Mary Curry, 17 years old. Mary Curry and her family were forced to their knees before their home. The leader of Muslim fanatics who had raided their village waved his pistol carelessly before their faces. His hatred for Christians burned in his eyes. If you do not become a Muslim, he threatened, you will be shot. Mary knew Jesus had been given a similar choice. Give up your plan to save sinners or you will be crucified. He chose the cross. Mary's choice was similar. I was baptized as a Christian and his word came to me. Don't deny your faith. I will obey him. Go ahead and shoot. The report of a gun behind her echoed in the valley and Mary's body fell body fell limply to the ground. Two days later, the Red Cross came into her village. Of all her family, Mary was the only one still alive, but the bullet had cut her spinal cord, leaving her arms paralyzed. They were stretched out from her body and bent at the elbows, reminiscent of Jesus at his crucifixion. She She could do nothing with them. More words from the Lord came to Mary. Even though she was now handicapped, she knew God had a plan for her life. Everyone has a vocation, she said. I can never marry or do any physical work, so I will offer my life to Muslims. Like the one who cut my father's throat, cursed my mother and stabbed her, and then tried to kill me, my life will be a prayer for them. You know, all these that I'm picking, they're between the last 50 years. So this isn't stuff that happened in, like, the 1800s. This is stuff that happened recently. Uh, Shaylin, how about you? Get you up here. All right. The angry crowd yelled after the lone bicyclist, if we see you again, we will cut off your feet, then see if you can ride your bike. This was not the first time Millen G. had been threatened by angry crowds of Muslims. But such threats have not been quenched. His zeal to take the truth of God's word to his countrymen. I ride to the villages on my bicycle and carry Christian literature. In ruins, I hold an umbrella in one hand and steer with the other. 
I often fall down and get muddy and scratched. At night, I hold a flashlight. I sing from the Psalms when I ride. The Christians I meet do not have extra blankets for me, so I try to make it back home and sleep. Millen was a teenager when a friend gave him the gospel. I hid them in my steel trunk in my bedroom. At night, I would get the key and open my trunk and read it. Having studied in a Muslim fundamental school for 12 years, I had known about Jesus as mentioned in the Quran, but I didn't know him as a savior. I accepted Jesus in 1992 and was baptized secretly 400 kilometers from my home. Ever since then, Millen had been persecuted by Muslims. I sold clothing in the local markets and began placing some Christian books in my shop for other Christians. When Muslim men learned of this, they would walk into my shop and just take my shirts and pants and socks from my shelf without paying for them. If I asked for money, they threatened to beat me. Anytime someone is interested in these booklets, I give them one. Millen says, we are going through many problems, but still we have Jesus Christ. We, we have peace through him, and we have the hope that when we die, we will go to heaven. You guys remember in junior high when we gave out a bunch of these books, but if you ever want to find them, it's called uh, Jesus Freaks, Voice of the Martyrs, and it's people who've suffered around the world for their faith, and it's really encouraging to read because it shows us what really is going on. We don't really think about it a lot because we don't see it here in the States, but I'm going to find another one for a girl, so hold on one second. So I need a girl volunteer if anybody wants to. Extreme Love. Jackie Hamill and Juliet in Philippines, 1992. The service was over. Jackie Hamill, a young Australian prison evangelist, was excited about what God was doing. She had felt the love of Jesus reach out to these inmates. Jackie a four, and 14 members of her church had traveled to the Philippines to minister in a military prison there. They were concerned for the lost souls of the inmates many of whom were communist guerrillas in prison for murder. Suddenly, a quiet was broken and the sounds of fighting and gunshots. The inmates were rioting and had overpowered the guards, seizing their guns and ammunition to make an escape. The evangelists were taken hostage and held for three days. During this time, Jackie and one other girl were raped repeatedly. But even in the moments when she suffered the greatest shame, Jackie prayed for her captors and spoke to them about God's love. Her face did not show panic, revolution, or hatred, but glowed with the brightness of God's light. During her imprisonment, she led the team in singing God's praises and presented the gospel to her captors. One of the rioting inmates threw down his gun and received Jesus as his savior. On the third day, there was a shot, shout out between the prisoners and soldiers who came to stop the riot. Jackie and Juliet, 16 years old, were shot. Even as Jackie lay dying, she raised her hand to God and prayed for the rioting inmates and for the soldiers. She died while singing to God. Thank you so much. All right. So before we close out, I'm going to ask uh, Stephen. He said something. He has something he'd like to share with us. So let's give it up for Stephen, and then we're going to close. Thank you, sir. Um, when I was in middle school, like seventh grade, eighth grade, I would read this every day. Sorry, it's the speaker. I would read this every day with one of my friends at school. And countless times I would read these and I would cry because people literally die for their faith and they get persecuted and they get beat, they get raped, they see their family die right in front of their eyes. And I couldn't ever imagine, I'm like, why would God let that happen to them? And I struggled with it and me and my friend would read them and I remember like, there is freedom in this. There's such goodness that God gives you 
they have this peace and this hope that the world just doesn't understand. Like if some, a non-believer goes and is getting beaten, they're going to be scared for their life. They're going to have no hope. They have nothing the restaurant to rest on. They have no anchor for their soul. But the people that are being persecuted, they see that, wow, there's something about this Christianity that I have and this hope. They see God's love through it. They see how much he cares because they have this peace. And um, wow, like I haven't, <laughs> it's been years since I've actually started reading this. Um, but it really touched me because it's true. And it still happens today. You guys see it um, back east, everything that's going on, people getting their heads chopped off and they're Christians. You know, like this is real. This is so real and so personal. Like with, because it's like they're doing this all for Jesus, all for love. And that's what I, when I shared on in the beginning and what he shared on, there's going to be, we're going to get denied. We have to deny our flesh. We have to deny this world. And sometimes it is going to cause death. Sometimes it is going to cause, oh, my feelings got hurt. Or I can't believe they said that. But it's all for Jesus. And there's this peace that he gives us when we have to go through something like that. So I would encourage you guys to maybe even share your faith today at school. I mean, or this week at school. Um, talk about like, oh, mom, dad, I have a question about this. Or, oh, what did you guys learn today at, in church? Like, I learned this. Like, do that stuff because that's what the blessing, that's what these people did. In prison, they would share their faith with people and give them their hope that they have because they knew it was something to be passed on. Because they knew it's, I can't keep this to myself, it's too good. I want to share this. You know? So um, I'm going to close this out with prayer. If you guys want prayer afterwards, also, we're here for you guys, the counselors, and um, I encourage you guys this week to um, be awesome Christians. <laughs> Okay, let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that you shared upon us. We pray that we can just meditate on what you had to say today and the goodness that comes through it, the peace and the love. We pray for ourselves that we would deny our flesh, but it's through your spirit that is in us that we can conquer it, and we have conquered it. Um, there's always going to be this battle that goes between us, Lord, and, but that is our own fault. And we pray that we can lean on your power and your love through it. We pray that we can bless our families this week and, and our friends and through your word. And we pray that you would be with us. In your name I pray. Amen.